In 2016, Sam Grice was 27, working in financial services. He got the phone call that no child wants to receive. That phone call no one ever wants to get, yeah. I, I think. And he lost his mother in a car accident. I was 28 at the time, never really been exposed to, to death. His whole world changed. You go into an absolute state of shock. While trying to deal with the grief of losing his mother, there was so much paperwork, legal fees and boring administration. It was impossible to think straight. So he came up with Guardian Angel, now rebranded to Octopus Legacy, to help other people going through the same thing. That was probably a way of me dealing with my grief and, and, and doing something practical with it. It helps you build a legacy, not just a boring document which details financial arrangements. Is it voice notes? Is it recipes? Like engaging consumers with that type of thing. Some people even explain the comedy sketches that they want at their funeral. They did a comedy skit for his funeral, and, and yeah, why not? I found this one of the hardest but most inspiring interviews I have ever done on Jimmy's Jobs. Sam, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thank you, Jimmy. Tell us the origin story behind Guardian Angel. Yeah, sure. So um, Guardian Angel started in 2017. Um, and so before that, I was in financial services, um, fairly vanilla job, and lost my mother in a car accident. Went through that. At, I was 28 at the time, never really been exposed to, to death, death and dying, the industry. Um, and yeah, for the next few months, it was just a really chaotic period for our family. We were dealing with the loss of mum from an emotional perspective, but then also financial, legal, um, the, the practical part of, of dealing with loss. And it just became really overwhelming for our family. And it was during that period, I think I've always probably been an entrepreneur. And I think during that period, I just kept looking at everything and thinking how it could be done better and, and different. And, and then pretty much about six months after, after that event, I, I, I started Guardian Angel as a company uh, on a mission to make the, the death process easier for, for people. What was it like getting that phone call about your mum? Yeah, I still remember it. Um, it it's the conversation, it's the, that phone call no one ever wants to get, yeah. I, I think. And it but was, we all know that we will do. Yeah, unfortunately, most people will. Um, uh, and it, yeah, it was Sunday morning. I remember waking up, I was cooking breakfast and I was doing poached eggs and I wasn't really paying attention to my phone. I looked over at my phone and had about five missed calls from my sister. Yeah. Um, my sister never call, caused me that much. Um, so I was, I, I assumed something was wrong, um, but never, never, what, never was this. And, and yeah, she came out and said it, which I assume on the other end of that phone call, incredibly difficult for her as well. Um, but yeah, she, she's basically came out and said it and, and yeah, devastating. You go into a, a absolute state of shock. Um, I think yeah. it's the best way to, to, to put it. You just don't really know what to do. And you were in the UK at this time? Where was no, this was in New Zealand. So I was New in, Zealand. yes, and I was in a different city from, from mum and dad. So at the first, yeah, it was basically the first thing was how do we get to, to I was in Wellington, how do we get to Auckland as, 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 as quick as possible. And the frustrating part is, you know, planes aren't just sitting there waiting. So you've yeah. got to kind of go through this process and that is a really nerve wracking period. I just wanted to be with my family and you're kind of away. Um, but you know, you can, yeah, it, it is frantic. I remember. Um, a funny, funny, you always, I always try to bring out funny stories in that period as well, because, um, that's what I try to do with death and dying. But I remember we were packing the bag frantically and I couldn't find my suit you know, thing. And I asked my, um, my, my fiance to get, um, to get my bottle of whiskey. Cause I, I was thinking for some reason, I was thinking my uncles are going to be there. We'll have a, a nice yeah. thing of whiskey. Um, she misunderstood me and so she brought me a glass of whiskey. <laughs> it was about 9am in the morning and I was like, no, 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 no not a glass. But, okay. Um, but no, but the bottle. So yeah, it's just like, it's a friend. That's how frantic it is. You're not really thinking straight. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's quite an overwhelming period. Yeah. 
And what, through that period, it led to you deciding that it was so complicated, so hard, the kind of like technical side of dealing with death led you to starting Guardian Angel. What was the actual, when was the moment that you thought, this is too much, I'm going to try and tackle this? Yeah, so the original idea, as most startups evolve and pivot as they as they grow, the, the original idea actually came from my, from my uncle. Um, and we, in New Zealand, every, every country does things slightly differently, but in New Zealand, it's very common, same here, but you, you send flowers um, and food when someone dies uh, as a sign of respect. And our, our house got so many flowers, it was un, unbearable. Um, they were everywhere and they were dying um, and there was food. We had lasagnas on the bench and it was just like, people would turn up with food and we would actually give them more food that came yeah. with to, to kind of, you, you leave with more lasagna. And I remember my uncle saying, wouldn't it be good if there was like an app that you could actually coordinate the delivery of food services and, and, yeah. and flowers? And that was the original kind of, when I started thinking actually, yeah, that would be very valuable for families. Um, it just didn't obviously go that way where the company evolved, but it was, that was, I think it was from that when that would have been day three, I started thinking about that. And I, yeah, I think it was probably as an entrepreneur, it was probably a way of me dealing with my grief and, and, and doing something practical with it. But yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. Displacement is the wrong word, but something to kind of move forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, where where did the where did the name Guardian Angel come from? Yeah, so um, names and of companies always take a while to kind of think through, and and through that process, I think to your question on on the financial and legal side of things, that definitely came after those first few days. And and I remember my auntie, both my aunties had been through a bit of death themselves, unfortunately. And they started to help with everything. So you, you have to do this. This is how you find the funeral director. This is how you, you, you know, you need to contact the solicitor to find the will. And these are the processes you need to do. And we were, dad was really distraught as you could probably imagine. So I was kind of, and my sister were taking the lead, but my aunties really were behind the scenes doing everything. Um, and I remember at the funeral, my dad said, he thanked his sisters and said that they, they were his guardian angels through the whole process. Um, and I just thought when, when I was thinking that not at the funeral, but later I was thinking, well, what we're trying to build as a company here and a brand is actually replicate what my aunties were doing um, in, a, in a technical way to help people deal with that. My aunties sh shouldn't need to be there to help with all the functional legal stuff. And, and that was where the kind of original name came from. Yeah. And so you've now been acquired by Octopus. And so your Octopus legacy is the new name, which we'll come on to that, that bit of the story. But explain to us what the product now does, because as you say, it's been for a few evolutions already, right? Yeah, so the the idea still stands to help people deal with bereavement. That's that's our main our main mission as a company. We we, we and and how we kind of we view planning through a slightly different lens. So so writing your will or, or getting your life insurance in place is is is, is really benef beneficial, but they're not your your products. And so ultimately, what we've decided is that the best help we can bring to bereaved families is to ensure that the person who has just died um, has been prepared and they've got everything in place. Because if they don't have things in place, it's really hard for us to help that family because it's quite chaotic. You know, if you yeah. don't have a will, you die in test state. We can't, we can't resolve that. And so the company has evolved very much into the pre-planning side of things. So getting the country ready for, for death um, in a practical, financial, um, emotional way. And then when they do die, when our clients do die, we even can start to communicate with the family in a way that, you know, we've, we know the will, we know what, the, what their wishes were, and we can start to help the family with bereavement. So I'd say, although we've moved into the pre-planning side of things, it's still very much as a company, we're focused on helping those people that are left behind um, and ensuring that they can, we can make that process as easy as possible. So people can come to you and begin to put their sort of like last wishes and so on. And, and you almost keep it what in like a vault type? 
Yes, it's all digital. Um, vault, I mean, yes, it, uh, theoretically it's a vault. So um, we've got your, you've got your account, which, which stores everything. Um, and the main thing we're trying to do there is the industry is very fragmented. So if you talk to a, someone who's preparing for death, um, most of the country don't, but if they do, they have to speak to a you know life insurance company. They have to speak to a lawyer. They have to speak to a funeral director to get their funeral plan sorted. And then you end up having, okay, that's already three professionals. And then finding those three professionals through marketplaces, maybe that's 30 professionals you have to screen through. And no one really knows this. And so I think most people give up. And yeah. so a big thing that we wanted to do, um, that Guardian Angel wanted to do, and now Octopus, as Octopus Legacy we want to do, is to ensure that if someone wants to prepare for death, they can just come to us and we can help them to do everything that they want it. So they can get prepared fully for death in one place. And then when they die, that, that vault, you say, can transfer to their family. and Everything they need is in there rather than having to go through and find all the professionals they need to, to help. And what kind of things are in that, right? Like, I haven't really had to be through this process. My mum has been through it with her mum not so long ago. But what do you have to sort of put in, put in there? Like, what are the things that people need to prepare for? Yeah, so, I mean, it all, I think it all it's kind of starts with a will um, is, is, the main, is the main thing. And what that comes to, will we'll get you thinking about well, what, what have you got? So what, what do you have? And, and who do you want to go to? I mean, that's the real basics of what a, what a will is. Um, what we encourage um, our, our, our clients to, to think about is the, the non-financial things. So do you have certain items or memories you want to pass on yeah. and, and engage them to, to kind of engage with the will in a slightly different way than, than a probably traditional solicitor would take them through? And so it's more about um, not just the, the, the practical things of what you want to pass down. And that's where, where legacy comes in is what do you want to leave behind when, you, when you're not here? Um, is it voice notes? Is it recipes? Like engaging consumers with that type of thing, um, which is very different to what, what people probably have thought in the past. Yeah. So are you getting people leave voice notes then and so on now? Yeah. So um, at, at the moment, it's not in the app, but that's the plan of the company is okay. to kind of engage with them to, to bring those things in, but we, we encourage, um, our users to, to go through that process. I mean, you can leave a voice note on your phone now very easily. Um, and, and we've got all the, the, we've got all the technology sitting in our pockets, um, you know, to do this, but, but Guardian Angel, uh, and, uh, now Octopus Legacy will be, will be bringing that into, to one app so that people can, can kind of sit and get ready in one go. Are you essentially trying to make death more enjoyable or more I'd say more human is probably uh, what I what, the way I'd frame it. <laughs> it's a good job you think about this. Yeah, yeah. No, it's no. a better phrase. Yeah. No, yeah, death more human. I mean, we're humans. Um, we 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 have family. We have relationships. Um, but death, for whatever reason, it breaks down. Um, and it shouldn't do. And so, as a brand, we're we're trying to to spark those conversations that can connect families. And we think death has a way to connect families together. Um, in a very powerful way. It is it is something we're all going to go through. We're all going to die. Everyone you you know is going to die, whether it's before you or after you. And I think that's just the way it is. Um, and so I think, yeah, we're trying to make the process more human, which it is. Yeah. Humans think like humans. Uh, and the language should rep- represent that as well, which traditionally wills have been quite stale documents. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it's it's your your views and, and your wishes passed on to your loved ones. What do you think about So explain when you came to the kind of UK and so on. And do you think British people are sort of particularly bad when it comes to death and talking about it, that whole kind of stiff upper lip mentality. Yeah. Yes. But I think I'm from New Zealand, um, which I think is f- fairly similar. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, when you think of New Zealand cuisine, it's, it's pretty much the same as English cuisine. There's not much difference. I'd say mentality is, is probably the same. Um, and so I was quite used to it. I think if you compare that to say Americans, it's very different. Um, but I, I think it is, I think death is conversation that people 
I guess, try not to talk about because it's emotional um, and they don't want to, to show signs of emotion around people, which is probably why they avoid the subject. Yeah. Um, so you're essentially trying to like improve the death process, right? And you're trying to, we were chatting beforehand about how death is hard and the conversation around death is challenging, but once you're having it, it's much easier. Yes. So I think I, I've always found, I mean, for the last, you know, four and a half, five years, I've been having conversations with death nearly every, with people about death nearly every day, which is, I think a very a rare, rare set of skills. Um, but I, I find that when you start to actually ask the right questions, people are very willing to talk about it. Um, yeah. I think they, they have the initial, I think it's the idea of assuming you're no longer here is quite hard for people to come to terms with or coming to the reality that the people you love are not going to be here. It was also quite a hard conversation. But when you start to talk to them about the lighter side of death and the more human side of death, um, people do open up. Um, so yeah, I've been having uh, conversations for the, the last four or five years around, around death and dying. And, and what, I've, what I've found is if you, you, know, if you ask the questions in a, in a human way and talk to them about it, people do open up a lot more. Um, and I think it's the, the idea of assuming you're no longer here or that your loved ones are no longer going to be here is quite a hard conversation to have. But um, you can bring a lot of joy and, and, and life into that conversation. Um, and I think when, you st when I start having it, I see people um, open up and I've had people cry, I've had people laugh. Um, and, and that's a conversation we kind of want the whole of the country to have. Yeah. Um, and what's, what, what has it been like going to investors to have this conversation? Cause you're like, right. Like a lot of people don't want to have it, you know, almost kind of like avoid it because it is hard. What's it been like going to investors say, not only asking them to open up about death, but also to invest and back you. Yeah, it's a really good question. So, and the answer would be probably unsurprisingly pre-COVID and post-COVID. Yeah. Um, so, so before COVID and before, uh, I would say there is now a, a massive um, uh, increase in, in, in death tech or death-related services coming through. Um, but before COVID, um, I'd say there was, I could probably name the people I knew doing substantial change in the industry on my hand. Um, and uh, investors were very much around. Uh, their feedback wasn't, you know, the business doesn't make sense or I don't see where you could make money uh, or I don't see where you could help people. Uh, it was very much, I don't think the, the, the people in the country are going to want to have this conversation. Um, Post-COVID, that changed massively, very quickly. Um, and I think it was because, you know, death was on the media every night. Everyone was talking about death and dying. I mean, we were, as a country, we were, you know, had a death tally rate and people were talking about it. And I think that did translate. We had a, about a 400% increase in our wool writing services over the process, right. which makes sense. And I think investors started to realize that maybe the conversation, people are willing to have the conversation. It just needs to be, you know, led by like companies trying to break down that, that taboo, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and what's, and, and tell us about how Octopus came to acquire you. Yeah. So I think it was, um, it's a question I get asked a lot. I think with startups, it's always about timing is a big thing. Um, and I was raising investment, um, which is, is a grueling process to, to at any time. Yeah. Um, and, but we were doing well, we were in really strong growth. Um, our, our product had so what your class is product market fit was going good. We had a, a fairly large investment round ready to go. Um, and as that journey went on, I, I met with octopuses, as you know, they're a very, very big investor in the, in the startup space. And through a series of events, um, uh, in one of the pitches I, I presented to Simon, who's the, who's the founder of Octopus. And he asked very, very good questions and very, um, probing questions focused on customer, which as you know, that's what Octopus is very focused on. And, um, and that the pitch went very well. And, and then, uh, shortly after that, he, he, he gave me a call and kind of said, um, we want to acquire you. 
And it turns out that um, he'd, he'd recently lost his father and he'd just been through every problem I was telling him about in a human way. And like, this is what people have to go through every day and no one's really talking about it. Simon had just been through, his family had just been through that. And he could just see, yeah, if you can, if we can, as Octopus, as a company, if we can help people through probably the worst time of their life, yeah. then, then why not build a brand that can do that? Um, yeah. What were the type of questions he was asked? Um, how, how we treat consumers. So around, um, you know, I think that the problem with financial services in general, but also this space is, you know, the fear of profiteering or you're, you're dealing with vulnerable customers. Yeah. So how, you know, it's a, it's a, my, as a, as a founder, I'm always very much focused on so help, help the problem, not build a product. And that's, that's how I speak. And he was asking me very much around the problem that consumers are going through and how I would solve that. Um, and, um, yeah, rather than how much profit do you think you can make and, and, and how much margin, which is not, not on our radar at all. Yeah. And how, how do you sort of go after customers, right? Again, it's that, you know, how do you begin to have that conversation with potential customers? How do you go about doing that? Yeah. So we generally distribute, um, our services or and get introduced to our services via partners and, 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 and corporates. And, and that's kind of agencies or companies that are already having those conversations for whatever reason, whether it's a, a charity, um, dealing with their supporters or an employer that's having a, you know, mental health or a wellness conversation. Um, and then, um, direct to consumer as well. So, uh, people are searching for these services. Um, so we just have a presence on online. So we're yeah. a very digital focused company, uh, at this stage. So, so yeah, we, basically if anyone's having the conversation around death, we, we can help, um, yeah. that process. And so what? That's all really interesting. How, how do you persuade people to come and work for you? Right. This is Jimmy's job. So let's yeah. talk about that. But like, you know, coming and working and spending your time talking about death, helping people prepare for death, et cetera. It's quite a, is that a bit of a tough sell? Um, I would say, uh, yes, but the ones we find are incredibly passionate about it. So, so we go to, um, a lot of, um, uh, you know, job fairs or th things mainly digital now, but to tr try find talent. And what we find is we present and you can instantly tell that 90% of them are, are not interested yeah, or they find it a bit morbid or I don't know if I want to work for a death company. Um, but the 10% that remain interested, um, are incredibly passionate, both from a, um, a, you know, entrepreneurial type attitudes, which is the space has so much opportunity to help consumers. And I'd love to be involved in a company that does that right through to people who are generally fascinated by the concept of death and, and getting, being part of that brand that can have that conversation with people. So the team we've got are incredibly passionate. I think it's, it's the biggest challenge that most startups have is to find a team that actually genuinely care about the product you do. It's all good to yeah. say, yeah, I'm passionate about this SaaS product, but do you generally care about it? Yeah. Um, and I think with our team, they generally do. They, not just about the, 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 the company, but making sure we behave, that we treat our consumer, our, our customers fairly because they genuinely care about what we're doing. Yeah. Which is hard to, hard to recruit. Totally. And what kind of roles are you hiring for? Well, we're, yeah, rap, rapid growth at the moment. So everything from, um, solicitors to, to product development. So we're, 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 we're very much started as an online business um, mm. and we're moving more into the traditional space just because we, that's where we, our clients are that we can help. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, from, from yeah, traditional probate solicitors right through to, you know, UX designers. Um, so, so all, all sorts of jobs at the moment. It's really interesting. What, um, what are the types of things that people put in their wills? Yeah. Um, well, we get, like what's, what, 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 what are you th thinking about in terms of like, what, what are people think about you're taking it as a very like modern approach. Like if you go to a traditional solicitor, you know, you probably just say where your assets go, but like, are you getting a new type of 
yeah, like you say, a sort of digital customer that's approaching it in a different way. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's like any society, any any industry, when you, when you sit down with a professional, you're less likely to probably open up about private stuff, but also your, your personality doesn't often come through in these, in these documents. Yeah. And so it kind of, I, I guess our will, our will brings out two sides of people. So the first part of it is when we, when you leave assets or, um, or an item to someone, we ask for, for a message and, 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 and people very, very much open up in those messages. And it, it's probably the, the, you know, the last message you're going to receive from your loved one. And it's a very yeah. important message. So they're very heartfelt, very, um, emotional. And then on the side of funeral planning, we take a bit lighthearted. Um, so we, we do it a little bit different to, to other people and we, we get people plan all sorts of funerals. I think one of our clients wanted to, to, to mix his, um, his ashes with molten, molten cheese and fire it out of cannon and, and stuff, you know, and there's all sorts of stuff we see. And I think why, why that's exciting is, um, to, to the point earlier is that people are willing to have this conversation, maybe not everyone, yeah. but, but the people that are, we're, we're definitely a brand that can, and that can help them. And, and I think that can really bring your personality out in such a probably seen as a stale document can actually be quite an enjoyable document to read, which I know sounds a bit odd in the death space, but it yeah. is the last time you're speaking to your family. Um, and if you view your will as your last words to your family, you view it very differently to, to how you probably would traditionally. And, and that's what Octavus Legacy is trying to, to break down. Yeah. What have you put in your will? <laughs> My will is uh, unfortunately quite, quite stale, I'd say. <laughs> so, it's so not I, the template. No, 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 no. I'm not the, I'm not the, 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 the main user. No, no. I mean, for me, my, my funeral is, 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 I would say stale, but it's, it's me. So it's, uh, it's at a beach, um, with barbecue and beers and, and, yeah. and chill and, and, and uh, my family probably would have done that, but, but you also, the thing is you don't know. So, um, I think now they don't have to make that decision. So it's there for them. And I think that's a really key part because even if it is something small, like I want my family to go on a walk, um, and, and spread my ashes. You've got to understand that if you're not there and you haven't written that down, they have to come up with that decision. And yeah. so our family had to plan mum's funeral from a tea. And we think we did a good job. We think it would have been something she would have loved. Um, but it would have helped us if, if, if she had told us. And also, we would have, I think we would have got a bit of pride in doing it for her and being yeah. like executing the funeral she wanted in the coolest way. Um, and you know, one of our, one of our, um, uh, employees, Eliza, um, she lost her, her grandfather and he, he wanted a comedy skit and they did a comedy skit for his funeral and, and yeah, and why not? Um, and, yeah. and, 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 and that's, that was him and, and they, they loved putting it on. They loved getting ready for it. And it's what, what a better way to, 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 to send someone off than, 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 than yeah. So, so yeah. Having done a bit of stand-up comedy myself, it'd be another <laughs> opportunity to die on stage. Exactly. So. <laughs> Your final list of jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put the family through one more time. <laughs> and them all. Um, and that's, it's like, it's so interesting kind of thinking about that. And it does feel like we've moved on from death slightly as a very somber thing in terms of, I'm thinking particularly in the UK, like, and I'm thinking of sports so on, like, Used to be a minute silence. Now it's a minute's round of applause. People, you know, it used to be all black ties. Quite often, yeah, you know, I went to a memorial service for David Young earlier in the year, who was a entrepreneurship advisor to Margaret Thatcher and great man. And he insisted on everyone wearing um, dicky bows and so on to the wedding. And it does it does feel like we're we're getting a bit better at sort of, you know, not making it lighthearted, but just trying to make it sort of more you know, enjoyable and a, and a bit more of a celebration. It obviously depends on the circumstances that something yeah. goes. Um, but it does what it does feel like that as a country, we are getting better at dealing with it, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think there is that traditional way to do it, which I think has been, is starting to break down. And I think a lot of people 
you know, until you've attended a funeral and you might be sitting there thinking, this isn't really what I want. Um, and that's a good opportunity for you to, to kind of have that conversation and think about it. And I think you are, you are, we're, we're seeing, I mean, we see all sorts of wishes as, as, as I've said, but even general, I mean, now you can, you can fire your ashes into space. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff you can, you can do. Um, and I mean, it, it, why not? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and I think, um, yeah, it's, it's. Death, it's, every, every human is, uh, in, in, in society, we're all so different and we have different personalities and, and yet most of the funerals are split into bronze, silver, gold packages. I mean, that's not human and, yeah. that, and that's not how we think of ourselves. I, 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 you know, I'm probably the gold package for sure, but you, yeah, know, yeah. you don't know. And, 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 and um, I think that's what is starting to break down as people are going, no, I don't want that traditional way. Um, I, I want it. I want this. And, want yeah. my personality. and, and a main way you can do that is in, is, in, is in your will. Um, that is where you can, can express these wishes. You can do it as, as what, anywhere else. It's not a legal uh, process, yeah. but, but yeah. But thinking of it as a final message is a really, uh, a really lovely way of, of, of doing it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Obviously I've mentioned on the podcast for Nick Hungerford, founder of Nutmeg a good friend and mentor of mine passed away earlier the year age 43 and he's done a lot of ai recordings for his two-year-old yeah. daughter that will you know that will hopefully she'll be able to use and so on in, in due course cool. and i think that you know like you said like all the all the technology exists yeah right like it's it this is not it's not a quantum leap that we're talking about no 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 we're talking picking up your phone and and, and recording a video yeah. and i know that i i think somber is an interesting word because i think it is maybe viewed as, as somber but how how how, how it's so not somber. like to, if, if something was to happen to you um if your if your children or your loved ones or your partner or, or whoever had 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 a video of you even if it's not directly at them it's just such a powerful thing to have and i think if i had a video of my mum um going through my life events i mean unfortunately for me i'm you know i'm gonna get married i'm gonna have children without my mum present um, yeah. and that's just reality of life and it is sad and it's upsetting to know she's not going to be there and likewise, I'm, I'm sure she's gutted she's not there more yeah. than anything. I mean, I still get to live. She, she doesn't. So it's, it's easy to, to, to focus on what I'm going through, but I know she would want to be there. And if she had left messages or, or voice notes through those events, I, I guarantee you that they would be the most valuable items I have in my life, but, but I don't have them. And frustratingly, she, she, we could have done it. It's just, mm -hmm. you don't think about it. No one's having that conversation yet. And how, uh, to, to go back to the sort of business side of it a bit, like how big can the market get? Right? Like what's your, what's your kind of vision for Oxford's legacy? Yeah. So we just want to be the, the place that people can come to for preparations of death. And that covers all the services you need from, from wills to life insurance to the legacy side of things. So leaving voice notes, messages, videos, that yeah. type of thing. Um, and then right through to, to the, um, the, the, the post-death support process. Um, uh, and, and that industry, I mean, if you include life insurance is massive. So, I mean, the, the TAM is as big as you want it to be. Um, but that's not really what we're focused on. So we're focused on getting consumers ready for death. I mean, that, that's our KPI. If we can get, if we can make those conversations and those joyful moments between families and connect them, um, the, all the rest of the financial stuff will come because that, that brand is super powerful and yeah. that's what we're trying to build. And legacy is a really interesting kind of word to use in this kind of context as well, right? Because it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity to leave something behind for family, but beyond that as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think anyone, a lot of people we see, we ask why they, why they don't write their will, and uh, a lot, a lot of people, I don't have anything to leave behind, or I've got no substantial assets, or what, what's the point? And I think that's why legacy is, is is a cool word because, well, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff you could do that's not financial, but it will be incredibly beneficial to your families, um, probably 
probably means more to them than a, than a house. Um, yeah. and, and, and so that's why I think legacy is a, is an interesting word. Cause it's, it's, how do you want to be, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be, be left behind? And maybe you don't want to do anything and that's fine, but there is a lot of people out there. Um, we know that yeah. they want to, want to engage with them. Yeah. And what's the, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing when starting out on the entrepreneurial journey, what would it be? Hmm. <laughs> Probably follow my own advice, which I'm probably the worst at giving startup <laughs> advice and not following it. But no, 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 I would, I would say um, it's a really good question. I'd say, hmm, probably make decisions quicker. Um, so I, I think I've, I've always, I, my, one of my advice to startups is always follow your gut on a decision. So it, it might be right or wrong, but at least if you followed your gut, you know, you've, you've made yeah. the right decision for you because otherwise you regret, oh, I should, I knew I should have done that. Um, so I feel like I've, most of the decisions I've made have, have, I have followed my gut, but I've probably made them a lot slower than I probably could have, um, could have done things quicker, could have changed this quicker. Trust your gut earlier. Trust your gut earlier. So you, if you know, if it's your gut instinct, it's very unlikely to change. And so if it's your gut instinct now, it's probably going to be your gut instinct in three months. And so I'd say that I probably could have made some decisions quicker. Um, yeah. but I, I, that's a really hard thing to actually do is to, to make those kind of decisive decisions. But I think as a founder or any entrepreneur, you, you have to make decisions quick. Um, it's kind of what your job is. Yeah, yeah, and taking them yeah. easy. How do you make decisions? Do you have kind of like a decision matrix or? Um, yes, I mean, I do. I think I think about it. Uh, it, it, it depends what type of decision it is, but I, I, tend, I don't have a kind of official structure, um, but I generally try to make the decisions that work best for the company. Um, and with the, I always try to put, I always try to put the customer hat on. I think that's really important in our space. There's a lot of easy things we could do to make more money. Um, very, yeah. very easy. And I definitely don't want to do that. So it's, it's a matter of, I always make sure I step back and always ask the question, is this what's right for a consumer? And then, so I, I, that's, I, I would always bring that into my matrix, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think in startups, you've got to make so many decisions. It's hard to kind of have a, a set matrix structure. But you have also got to make money, right? Like, yes. I mean, you know, it's not a, not a charity, right? No. Like, so how do you sort of decide that process of, okay, well, where, where can we make money on this? I mean, there is a lot of, you know, accusations in the press about like, you know, funeral directors and so on kind of profiteering is perhaps too strong, but knowing that people are at a weak moment in their lives and, you know, you don't really want to shop around for funeral services. Um, so how do you decide where to make profit? Yeah. So it's a good question. So I think the, the industry, yeah, transparency is probably the big thing that industry needs. So how much things cost and what you're getting. And, and I think the funeral industry and the legal industry is probably not quite good at that. Um, and so I think there's a lot of movement to, to bring transparency, but I mean, if you look at the, the will and probate business is, is, is 2 billion pounds a year. So there's, it's, it's a big industry. Um, wow. and so it's, it's not a matter of, um, can we make money? It's, 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 it's how we want to be the brand that makes money. And if we offer, um, a transparent, easy to use, um, will and probate service where, you know, the market the market's big enough for us to make money so definitely and so what what are the i mean you know without turning it too much into a sales pitch what are the kind of levels of will writing and so on if people want to go on and check it out yes i mean online is our main 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 product so that's a, a digital will um we'd say that about 80 percent of people probably have the wishes that 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 our will can provide most people actually have pretty simple um wishes so I want everything to go to my my partner, uh, yeah. and if, if if we both die, we want it to go to our children. Uh, that's the majority of <laughs> that's our world. Ninety percent of it. Yeah, 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 I mean, and and and, and interesting. That's pretty much the intestate rules. But but there are there are conditions on that. So we would always encourage someone to have a will. 
Um, but the, um, so, so that's an online journey. And then we have a more complex journey, which was with a solicitor. And that's, yeah. if you want certain things, it's, it's without overboring the, the podcast, it's things like if you're wanting to gift a house to a specific person, or say you've got younger children and, um, by default, they inherit all their assets at 18. Say you want to them to inherit assets at 25, those types of things need will trusts, which are a little bit more complicated, but we can help with that as well. But what we tend to suggest is everyone start the online journey, see how it goes. And if you need to speak to a solicitor, we've got them in the yeah. team to help you through the process. Yeah. And how much is the online journey then? So the, the, our simple online was uh, 90 pounds. So okay. affordable. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Very affordable. Um, interestingly on that, like, so a lot is go to a partner, go to my kids or whatever. Are you seeing much kind of like generational jumps in terms of grandparents leaving stuff to grandkids and so on? Partly because people are so much, you know, generally living longer, et cetera. So, you know, are you seeing much of that? Yeah. So yes, um, you see inter intergenerational giving, which is a, is an important part. Um, uh, and then we, we also have seen a, a big increase in charitable giving too. So, um, I think, I think the average charitable wills that contain a charitable gift in the UK at the moment is around 7%, but 40% of our wills include a charitable gift. Wow. Um, and that is because, um, we explain to, to people that they can do it, which a lot of people don't know they can. Yeah. And so if you love, you know, your cause or this is, this is my ex charity and I love them, but I don't have any cash I can give them today. You can actually leave them a gift and you will. And, and so we educate um, people about that, which probably helps with the increase. But I think that could be a generational thing as well. So our average will writer is, is 55. And so um, what being is they are probably from, from a pure statistical perspective, um, uh, leaving more gifts than, than, than the average. Um, so we're seeing that. So intergenerational you giving. You put that down to awareness mainly. I think it's awareness. I, think, I don't think most people know you can leave a gift to charity in your will. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's, also, um, there's also financial benefits of doing it as well, which we yeah. explain. So That's really interesting. What are the other unexpected things in will writing and death that people might not know? Um, well, I think probably they know, but why they should have a will, but they probably don't link it as, as guardians for your children. So if you don't have a will in place, um, you, you can't um, name guardians for your children. And so it's very important that, that you do that. If you've got young children to have, to have, to, to have, firstly have the conversation, because what we know is a lot of people aren't having this conversation. So have both, um, both partners in a relationship sat down and said, who do we want to have our kids if, if something happens to us? Yeah. And um, if that conversation hasn't been had, you have to understand that you're then not going to be involved in that conversation. Um, and and do, do, you, do you want this person to, to do it? Or, and do you want your family in the courts to decide? Or do you want to have a involved in that? So I think that's probably more just a thing that people don't understand is, is what's definitely in the will. And it's very important. So if you've got young children, no substantial assets, still very important to, to, to list your guardians in your will. Um, and so that's a really important thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can well imagine. And then the, the other thing is, is the, the, whilst you might not have a lot of what in your view, financial assets, um, if once you die, um, that you have to go through what's called the grant, uh, the probate process, which starts with a grant of probate. And that's effectively without over, uh, without boring, boring up the, the podcast, um, your, your executor, um, which is the person facilitating the probate has to go find all your assets. Mm. Um, and that is time consuming. Um, so. You, you, and that's often someone in your family. And so if you haven't written your will and listed everything you've got, even if it's, I've got, you know, this bank account and I've got this insurance product, um, they're going to have to go find that out. And you've got to understand that most people's filing at home is probably not the best. So working out who your insurance product is with, who your banks are, how many pensions you've actually got and where they are, yeah. all this stuff is, is not, uh, people don't sometimes put it in the will if they're not guided. 
um, and we very much guide them through that process because if you put if you make those decisions today and let your family know in your will it's going to save them so much time and effort afterwards it took took it took months to find all of mum's stuff yeah. um you know you don't even know who their phone provider is you've got to get into the bank and it's very complicated so gosh yeah um totally um what what's the best piece of content on your entrepreneurial journey that you've come across so podcast book article i yeah i think there's a um article by um called graham from y combinator and it says um it's about doing things that don't scale and um at first while you learn about it, so ruthlessly focus on your customer at first and i think that's really important because i see a lot of you see a lot of startups fall into these traps of building these very sophisticated very high quality products that no one ever uses and that's kind of the assumption of Build, build the product first and customers will come. Yeah. Um, often it's find your, find, your, find your customer that is suffering the problem that you think you can solve. And, you, and, and whether you can solve it or not, that's, what you have, that's the startup journey. You have to work that out. Yeah. But if you find those customers first and then you just relentlessly focus on solving their problem, um, you're actually building something they're going to use and, and then, then scale that rather than build something that's scalable to start with. And there's a whole article he's, he's published on it. Yeah, so yeah. it's really, yeah. it's old school. It's like from 2003 or something, but it's, it's, it's good. It's real, real good. And I always try to, that's probably one of the bit of advice I give startups and it's linked to that, that yeah. article. It's, it's, yeah, it's an old school blog, but it's, it's good. <laughs> and what other advice would you give to people thinking of starting out? Um, well, I'm, I've been quite, well, I said lucky is not the right word, but I'm genuinely, like, probably everyone says this, but I'm genuinely passionate about what we're trying to do. Um, and I get up every morning and I'm excited to, to focus on, on the death space, which I know sounds really odd, but, but it is, it is what it is. Um, and, and I, I would say generally not just about finding problem solution, um, problem solution loses its cool after about six months. You're going to be in the trenches for years, fighting for this cause, fighting for this product, hiring team, getting team passionate about something. It's really hard to get a whole bunch of people passionate about something that you don't really care about. It comes through very obviously. So make sure what you're solving, you actually passionate about. It's very easy to look at, you know, get a, get a whiteboard out and draw, oh, you know, the TAM here is huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's build a problem in here. But do you really care about insurance? You know, is that, is that what you're getting out of bed to do? And what you'll find is that you'll get a competitor come along soon. And that person in that driver's seat will be passionate about insurance okay. and they'll be coming in every day and they'll be doing this and this and this. And you're now having to compete with someone that actually cares about what you're doing. And I think that's what starts to fall over. And then founders is the other thing. So don't jump, don't jump straight into getting a co-founder until you know that they're just as passionate about the cause as you. Because I think it's the second leading reason startups fail is co-founders have fallouts. Yeah. And it's not just that they disagree on decisions. It's also, I think sometimes I've talked to lots of founders that have gone through this process. The other founder just stopped caring about what they're doing because they never really cared. And after three years, it's, you know, yeah, yeah. that's normally when people start to look for a new job. Founders aren't any different. We're still people and <laughs> still have, have emotions. So, so I think, yeah, you've got to make sure you're passionate and that you're don't, don't rush into and don't get more than two. I would say I've, I've, yeah, I think it gets complicated after that. Yeah. How did you go about that first sort of investment round and so on? Yeah, so so that was an interesting one because I didn't have a co-founder. Yeah. Um, and so I was a single non-technical founder, I think is my they, what they phrased me as. <laughs> they put me into this pigeonhole. Um, and and um, yeah, single single non-technical founder is, is my term. Um, and so it was challenging. Um, but I think again, because I was so, they could, I think it's quite obvious that I'm, I'm passionate about it. And I think Often investors would say, well, he's going to, he's going to be getting out of bed every day and he's going to go to work and he's going to be trying to solve this problem. So I think I, I did find it 
quite easy at first, but I think that, so it was the combination of the death and, and being, being a solo founder. But what I would say is because, um, I was genuinely passionate about the death space, which not many people were at that point. Um, then it, 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 it I would say the first round of investment actually was surprisingly easy for me, which was, um, I mean, this was in 2018, I think we raised nearly 500,000 and it was quite a quick process. And, and that was a big round, the pre-seed round skyrocketed, um, over the last few years, but at that time it was a very big pre-seed round. Um, and I didn't, that wasn't particularly hard. The later rounds got harder, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, you're off to watch the rugby this weekend. Yes. This is going to air much later. Yes. Than this. You're off to watch New Zealand versus Ireland yes. in Paris, which I'm incredibly jealous of. Who's going to win the World Cup? Yeah. So I'm off to watch the, the World Champions play Ireland, I think is, is the, way I've, <laughs> uh, the way I view it. But no, no, no. I'm, I mean, I'm, 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 yeah, very passionate about rugby. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think our team's not the, the best we've fielded ever, um, but it's still the All Blacks. And I think um, you should never underestimate the, the kind of machine that is, 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 is New Zealand Blacks. rugby. And their their attitude and their their honing their men, their mentality is just very different to to most teams. So I'm very excited. But Ireland is is an exceptional team. Um, I would say they are the favourite, um, which is a weird place to me being because I've never I've never been in a match like that as non the favourite. Yeah. Um, and growing up, Ireland was always a team we never really classed as as competitive because they hadn't beaten us until you know four years ago. Yeah. Um. And so now they're very 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 solid teams. So, and yeah. What all Blacks principles do you try and take into the business world? Yeah. So, um, it's a good, it's a really good question. So they, they are very focused on obviously, um, the, the coach leads most things, but they're very like internally driven as well. So what that means is they don't rely on the coach saying you pass that ball forward or you knock that on. They rely on the team kind of calling out yeah. each other, not in a negative kind of toxic way. It's just, a they rally together as a team. They're a unit, um, which I think is really good. And they never, um, self, they're never self-congratulatory. So they, if you see the All Blacks, even if they win, they focus on what they could do better. Yeah. And I think I know that's a really kind of, they've got to take time to enjoy it. And I'm sure they do. Um, when they've know, won the final. Though, not yeah. Them. When they've won the final of the World Cup, they probably celebrate. But, you know, winning a quarterfinal is, a, is, is one step before it. And I think that's the key with startups, you know, don't celebrate your seed round. Yes, enjoy it. But, but you've still, you're still on a journey of Series A, Series B, you know, you're, you're, you're just at the pool match. And so you've got to, you've got to think about next, next. And it is, that is hard. It's mentally hard to do that, but you are here on a journey. And I think the All Blacks are a team that, that it's over when it's over and they'll, they'll, they'll view, they won't be viewing this as a big match. They'll be viewing this as two matches before the final. How do you think your mindset has approached and changed since being acquired? Um, yeah, so I've been able to, I think the advantage of Octopus is we, I think we've got the um, ability now to build a brand that is, you know, a, a household name, which I think is exciting. And we've got the capital to do it, which I think most startups are, you're always limited and constrained to, to a budget. And I'm not saying that I've got an endless budget. I can just go and do what I want. It's still yeah, Octopus yeah. And, 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 the, and the senior leadership team here still very much view it like a fundraising round. So you've got this much money to get your plan. But what I would say is, is that they are a very entrepreneurial group. Um, so if you come to them with something exciting, or this was out of plan, but I want to do it, they're very supportive of, of looking at it properly. And then if it makes sense to do it. And I think I've never been in that position before in the fundraising, because if you know, you've raised one and a half million or 2 million, that's, that's all the money you've got. And if you run out of that money, you need to get more money. And, you know, I think probably half of my job always was fundraising. And it's a very distracting thing for founders, a very limited amount of founders you always hear people say oh, i did it in one month and close it's very unlikely most people it's you know nine to six to nine months to raise and if you think if your runway is two years that's a big part of your job 
And while you're doing that, it's quite mentally um, overwhelming. So you're, t you're having to try to keep your team going and motivated whilst incredibly stressed. And so I, that's completely gone from my life now. So um, yes, there's still stresses and concerns, but I'm not worried about running out of money in, in six months. And I think that's been really liberating for me um, to really focus on what we're actually trying to do as a company. And now we've got the ability to do it, which is exciting. Yeah. That was an interesting point. Sam, thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. No problem. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me.